Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's June 5th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Jonathan V. Last of the Weekly Standard. One of the only Philadelphia Eagles fans that I actually know. So I wanted you on today to talk about the president's rather remarkable decision to disinvite the team from the White House because he said, this is my favorite line, because the fans deserve better than to celebrate with the team that won the Super Bowl. Okay, what? <laughs> What the hell? <laughs> so clearly he wasn't watching what happened on the night of the Super Bowl because <laughs> yeah. whatever you think of the entire situation, the, the good people of Philadelphia don't deserve any better than whatever they get in the world. Right. One of my buddies on Twitter said that Donald Trump ought to uh, commemorate this event by punching a, a police horse on the right. White House lawn uh, in, you know, in joyful celebration the way many of the Philadelphia Eagles fans did. <laughs> Yeah, but they're the Philadelphia Eagles fans. They they have they have a tradition to live up to. Yeah, hey, no, it's it's probably good for the public. They didn't come to the White honestly, House, isn't it? I, yeah. I'm trying to get my head around this because because I do understand how the president thinks this is a great wedge issue. That this is a no lose issue for him. Every time he brings it up, he riles up the base. You know, he talks about something that he'd rather talk about, and yet taking it out on the Philadelphia Eagles today. I don't know. How does that not play as incredibly vindictive and petty? You know, I so joking aside, uh, the president is pretty smart about who he fingers as his enemies. You know, um, not always like when he, he took after the Gold Star family in uh, you know, at the Democratic National Convention. That was not very smart. Muslims, uh, but yeah, I, I would say, you know, when he did his Muslim ban, he was he was back in the Democratic Party into mm -hmm. defending an unpopular group, uh, the even fighting with the NFL. That was not crazy. This Philadelphia Eagles team, not one of these guys over the course of the entire season knelt down. And if anything, this team is marked by like a bunch, a whole bunch of pretty devout evangelical Christian players. Yet one this, player who raised a, a fist. Very that, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Just as a cultural matter, this is a very culturally conservative team. And what these guys who didn't want to go did, you notice the Eagles weren't out there tweeting, I'm not going to show up at this White House for him. He's not my president. They weren't hashtagging resistance. They weren't, they, they just very quietly decided, you know what? I am not down with this. I'm not comfortable with this guy. I'm just not going to go, which, by the way, is what like Christian witness is supposed to be all about, right? You don't make a showy thing, but if you you just refuse to be co-opted into something that you think uh, your God and your Savior would not be in for. And so he has picked a fight with a bunch of evangelical Christians here. And yet, of course, where do we think where do we think the professional evangelical Christians are going to go on this? I, I would bet you anything that the Jerry Falwells of the world go and rally to Trump here. It is an amazing, amazing moment. Well, part and, of it is is the dishonesty of it as well, because he is trying to make it about the uh, the kneeling and the disrespect for the military and the flag. And the players are going, wait, 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 this has nothing to do with this. I want to reiterate the point that not one player at any time during the season took a knee. This is not about that. It's about something else, which then raises the question, why do you think he did it? So let's say that only a handful of players showed up. Would that have been as embarrassing as the cancellation has turned out to be? No, nobody would have noticed it. But I don't know that he thinks the cancellation is an embarrassment. Um, no, I don't no. know. I mean, you may you may have this forgotten is, this, but five months ago, the president tweeted about how he might pardon himself for crimes that he didn't commit. And so this is 
Well, this is his superpower, right? Right. This is his. This is the chaff. This is the chaff defense, where you know every single one of these things would have destroyed an entire previous presidential administration back when we had people in power who were like concerned with probity and propriety and all those things. Uh, and we live in a different world now. And the truth is. I don't even blame Trump for it because the, Trump is a symptom. He's not the cause. This is this is the world we live in. These are, you know, uh, every there's a saying about the you know every generation gets the presidents it deserves. Well, the baby yeah. by God, the baby boomers generation, which is the worst generation in American history, deserves Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump. This, this of course, that's who this generation is. I'm sorry. You asked before the show. Was I mad? No, I'm no, pretty mad. You know, I, I don't disagree with you. And, I, and I've said this, and I, I think I, I misunderstood when I say that Donald Trump does not actually horrify me as much as the reaction to Donald Trump. You know, it's, you know, Donald Trump is Donald Trump. He's living life. He's a billionaire. He's got a supermodel wife. He's the president of the United States. It's watching all of the other, you know, the fluffers and the enablers and the, and the, you know, the other, you know, the knuckle draggers and stuff who, who make this possible because you're right. You know, it doesn't seem that long ago that any one of these violations of norms, any one of these laws, any one of these, you know, claims of sweeping, you know, authoritarian power would have generated a massive backlash. And today it's like, yeah, well, whatever. What, what, what else do we have to swallow? What other kind of spinach do we have to eat? Yeah, but it, it, is, it is that. It is pretty, pretty awful. And the dishonesty of if I could just like take a moment to drive by on Fox you saw this this morning. So oh, Fox yeah. News did, did a story on this. Uh, I believe it was Shannon Bream show. And they ran B-roll footage as they were talking about Trump's charge about players not kneeling, of Eagles players kneeling. This is not, they were not kneeling at the, the national anthem. They were kneeling. These are, these shots were both from pregame and postgame of the pray, of the players kneeling in prayer together, which again, this is, as I said, by the cultural standards of the NFL, this Eagles squad is a pretty conservative team. Uh, these are not guys who are out there partying until four o'clock in the morning. These guys are praying. They're all literally praying. Fox News runs the like, B-roll. Yes. And, and then Fox News rolls out their apology four hours later on Twitter in a statement. You know, no on-camera corrections for on-camera mistakes. It is as though we have a state-run news agency. And between that and the, you know, Blagojevich, uh, the widow Blagojevich uh, going on Judge Janine's show, preaching to an audience of one, asking for her pardon, and then Papadopoulos' wife going on uh, and last last night and asking for her pardon. It is, it is weird to have a state news channel, which is not broadcasting the actual will of the guy who's president, El Presidente, but in fact, trying to channel news to El Presidente, it is such a, it's a really, it's an insane place we live it, right now. It, it does feel like you've kind of fallen into a uh, sort of a, a, a bizarre spoof on an alternative reality. Okay, you mentioned the the other story that was kind of a blip out there, the president of the United States and uh, and his fans claiming sweeping, sweeping powers for the president including the the notion that he had the absolute power to pardon himself, uh, shut down any investigation into himself and his his cronies, uh, and, uh, and and to order the investigation of any of his political enemies. And, of course, Sean Hannity is on making that particular case. Um, let's just talk about uh, Ted Cruz's reaction, because the Weekly Standard found itself in the middle of that. Um, uh, our colleague Haley Byrd uh, in the hallway of the Senate asks Ted Cruz, um, whether or not a noted constitutional scholar, Harvard Law graduate, Ted Cruz, uh, whether or not the president has the power to pardon himself 
All right, uh, Jonathan, walk us through what happened then. So she asks him in a scrum as they're walking down the hall, which, by the way, is something that happens 150 times every single day on the hill. Um, and he he goes 18 seconds without being able to answer and then is prompted by another reporter who, from the Washington Examiner says, you know, hey, you know, so, so what is the answer on this? And then he sort of launches, well, you know, in his like Ted Cruzy way, uh, and which is fine. This is, I mean, the truth is, he's in a tough spot. I understand this. He's got a difficult, or more difficult than expected reelection going on. Uh, he doesn't want to get crosswise with any any Trump voters, and he's already, you know, I mean, his father killed Kennedy, so he's got I know. that. I mean, that that's, that's, that he a, that's a tough word. With him, which is, be a little which bit is hard for any politician. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, all this is fine. Like, if he wants to say whatever he wants to say to curry favor with the Trumpkins, that's fine. Uh, but he then comes out on Twitter and starts gaslighting our reporter and claiming that she's a dishonest journalist taking everything out of context, which is <laughs> whatever. I mean, you know, like Ted Cruz is going to Ted Cruz, I guess. Uh, but this is, you know, like this is Trumpism. As I, as I say, every time I'm on the show with you, uh, Donald Trump is important for what he reveals in those around him. And, uh, you know, it's further revelation for for about who Ted Cruz really is. And this is, you know, for the people who wonder how is it that Ted Cruz couldn't have, have beaten Donald Trump in the primaries. Well, now we know why, you know, because this is who the guy really is. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is hard being Ted Cruz. I mean, when you when you think about what he what he'd said about uh, Donald Trump during the campaign, what he does now, but this larger question, and you know, we we throw around terms like constitutional crisis, you know, re- rather glibly, but we're we, it does feel like we're walking right up to it when the president and his lawyers are, and and okay, here's an asterisk here before I say this, but are, are essentially saying that the president uh, is above the law. Um, well, like, of course, he could be impeached in the alternative world in which Republicans actually stood up to the president, but seriously making the argument that uh, that the president cannot break the law, could actually shoot James Comey um, and would be exempt from prosecution, can pardon himself, has the power to shut down any investigation into his own criminal activity. These are breathtaking claims that make Richard Nixon seem like James Madison. <laughs> on, on Twitter, my buddy uh, Popat said, so let me get this straight. Conservatives are now saying that if Mike yeah. Pence walked into the Oval Office, shot Donald Trump dead, uh, he could then pardon himself and just go on being president? Because that's, that's the logic of the Trump claims here. <laughs> well, the, the the logic of these claims, I mean, I would have thought that that one of the principles that would have been you know, exempt from the tribalism, and maybe it is, who knows, that that one of the principles would be that no man or woman is above the law, that that we, in fact, are a nation of laws, not a nation of men, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the the bedrock principle of a self-governing constitutional republic? Now, the the argument that we're hearing from people is, well, the, no, um, it is not above the law if you could have the political process of impeachment. But then imagine a scenario like the one you just said, where, you know, the president commits a, a, a felony or some, you know, shoots, shoots somebody. And you still have 34 members of his party in the Senate who basically say, yeah, we're not going to do anything about all of that. Does anyone would anyone suggest that that scenario is compatible with the rule of law that we have understood or that that the framers in their worst nightmares envisioned? Yeah, and it's impossible to imagine uh, 34 senators from one party just lining up to deny reality and wind up alibying the president on something like that, right? Yeah. Uh, 
I wish it uh, was. You know, I, I know. I'm being fatalistic. Yeah. Uh, the, the, we are uh, ranting, aren't give we? Me, give me 18 seconds here, Charlie. Uh, yeah. This is, yes, in answer to your question, in a serious republic, the idea has to be that you're guided by laws, not by men. But this is one more example of the fact that we are not a serious republic anymore. And the reason we're not is because we are not a serious people. And again, Donald Trump is the end point of this. He's not the beginning. Uh, this is the same the same Republicans who today are, you know, trying to muddy the waters and say, well, you know, there's a lot of executive authority. You can't really put checks on the, the power of the executive and the president. He has to be able to do this. Those are the same people who were saying, uh, as Ted Cruz was, that you know, Barack Obama is not a monarch. Uh, but the reverse is true, too. You know, the Democrats who are so outraged about this today wanted no check on the executive authority of Barack Obama. And this is this sort of tribalism has been going on at least back to 2000. And, you know, if you really want to <laughs> at we'll least back, back into to Nixon and at least back to the Civil War and at least back to Adams. Um, but it's gotten worse. And I, I really don't buy the arguments of people that, oh, it's always been like this. Uh I don't think it has always been like this because I don't think you can go on like this for too, too long without things becoming really, really ugly and problematic. Oh, I, I uh, agree. I, I actually uh, was doing a Sirius XM uh, radio show. I was filling in for Michael Smirconish and uh, had a, a columnist for the Boston Globe who's, who's compared this, uh, what's going on now to the, the you know, the, uh, the parable of the boiling frog. I don't know whether that's actually silence, you know, a science, you know, that you put you put a, a, a frog in a lukewarm uh, pot of water. You you turn up the temperature. And by the time the frog realizes that it's being boiled, it, it is too late. It's not, you know, if you throw the throw the frog into the hot water, the frog's going to be, you know, smart enough to jump out. That what Donald Trump has done is step by step. He has desensitized and numbed us to all of this. So that the flood of lies that would have derailed anybody else is now. You know, a shoulder shrug. We haven't even talked about. So, you know, um, Sarah uh, Huckabee Sanders yesterday asked about all of the lies and misrepresentations about that uh, the the meeting in Trump Tower with the Russians and the Trump campaign high command. Um, how many times they denied that Donald Trump had anything to do with the false statement? Now we know they've acknowledged that in fact he he dictated that statement himself, and the spokesman for the president. Just doesn't even want to talk about it. Just doesn't even want to. Doesn't want to walk back. Doesn't want to apologize. Doesn't want to clarify. And in this White House, that means it's Monday. That's yeah, it. yeah. Refer to outside it's, counsel. But but again, if you, if you really want to walk back the the parable of the boiling frog, this is you know if you want to, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. And yeah. the, I did not have sex with that woman. And there are no, you know there were weapons of mass destruction. This is whether the whether the things that turn out to be true are intentionally untrue or accidentally untrue. You can understand why people are at the point they are with a lack of faith in institutions. And this is I, this is me like my most morose today. Uh, but this is how we got here and where we go from here isn't good because you have, you know, family breakdown coupled with societal breakdown coupled with institutional failure. Uh, this is it is difficult to see 
how America continues to become a serious and thriving republic over the course of like another generation. Um, I, this won't surprise you to know that I don't find that as excessively alarmist, although some, <laughs> some listeners might. Well, I had that same thing when I was watching Bill Clinton have his meltdown on um, on NBC yesterday. I'm looking at it going, OK, you know, that's where this all started, you know. Um, you know, if you did not have Bill Clinton, you know, lying under oath and then having an entire political party say, well, as long as he's right on abortion, we're going to overlook all of his corruption, all of the financial corruption, all of the sexual corruption. You would not be where we are today. And it is interesting that we've we've had this, you know, uh, very extended and I think legitimate introspection on the part of conservatives about what the hell happened to us, what was the, you know, the Republican uh, crack up. But I don't see that the Democrats are willing to own their contribution to that as well, because, of course, at any time any of us talk about this, we get the whataboutism. And the whataboutism always has a grain of truth to it, right? You had Bill and Hillary Clinton who normalized a culture of corruption for a very, very long time. Donald Trump just comes along and he just you know, kind of puts the pedal to the metal on it. And we all wonder what the hell happened there. Yeah, I, there's more than a grain of truth here. Uh, I mean, the, people who were not around for the Clinton years uh, perhaps don't realize how cynical the Clinton pattern of lying was because they would lie about everything, big and small. Uh, and they would even then field test like which lies. So there was this thing where it's not even like the lies were told to hoodwink uh, you know, like the general, the general population, they understood that everybody would know that they were lying. They were just, you know, they would float things to see how much could they get away with in, in saying. And so they were all during impeachment. There were trial balloons that would come out of the administration. Well, what if the president took this line or what if the president took that line? I mean, there was no there was a presumption that the president would not tell the truth about something because the truth, of course, would be too damaging. And everybody knew what the real truth was anyway. And it's. Again, this sounds like whataboutism, but uh, but you can't understand you can't understand you know history if you just look at a snapshot of where you are. You really do well, have to go go all the way back. And as I said, you you know if some of our liberal friends want to say, well, well, what about Nixon? Well, that's fair. I mean, this is you know you you can go back that far. Yeah, and again, this is you know the the boomers brought with, us here. With, with, with Nixon, at least there was one point where a Republican senators led by Barry Goldwater went to the Oval Office and said, "You have to go." Just not sure who that's. Yeah, going to be. and that's that's the difference. Uh, well, I mean, and also history. Since we're in this historical mode here, you know, there are two models of of history. One is you know pendulum swings back and forth. You know, you go from you go from Richard Nixon and you get Jimmy Carter. You go from Jimmy Carter. You get Ronald Reagan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The other view of history that that I'm, I guess I would. Uh, kind of haunts me is the ratchet, um, which is that every time you lose something, every time you go down, lower standards, uh, besmirch the culture, um, it, it becomes, you know, that becomes the new baseline and it becomes harder and harder to get it, you know, back up again. So you, w whether it's Clinton or, or whatever, once we accepted the idea of the president, uh, uh who was, uh, who was corrupt, engaging in sexual misconduct, uh, and perjuring himself, once we accepted that, well, then it became easier the next time. And but even having said that, you know, it's funny that that, that I, I'd actually kind of come around to thinking that uh, some of the heavy breathing early in the Trump administration about uh, incipient authoritarianism uh, and, the, and the threats to democracy, that they might have been somewhat emotionally overblown. And then over the last 48 hours, you're looking around going, are you kidding me? Look at this. I mean, any time the president of the United States is asserting his 
essentially supremacy to the law that affects everyone else. That that takes us into a new into into a new um, territory, and uh, so I I guess I'm almost I'm almost back to thinking you know some of some of the 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 darkest things that we'd ever heard you know are coming to fruition. But then again, you know who knows. Yeah, I I mean I would say this. So my view on the constitutional crisis, incipient authoritarianism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, was always that it was a very low probability event, and you could mm-hmm. pick sure. pick a percentage for it. You know, w- whether it's two percent or half a percent or five percent. I mean, very low probability event. However, a that's too much, right? If I were to tell you that there is a half a percent chance of the plane you are about to get on crashing, well, you would probably not get on the plane. Like a half percent is when the stakes are high, a half percent or a quarter of a percent or something is a lot. Uh, and B, as you say, because of the way the ratchet works, and this is exactly right in everything in life, ratchets always go one way. By upping the chances of that now, even if things are fine with Trump and Trump winds up being great and a very successful two term president, which I would say, again, God hopes we all we all hope is, is what happens. We have now reset the standards for everything going forward. And if you think yep. that Democrats yep. and the left isn't going to find That's some version of yep. Trump on their own, you're crazy. And and, and, uh, where, and where will conservatives be in complaining about uh, their executive overreach? W- when will we have an argument about small government or about constitutional norms if we go along with all of this? And, well, and you know, will- I, I, I you know, and going back to your 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 point, it, it's it's not that that Donald Trump is is necessarily like this this uh, this authoritarian virus. I mean, that's bad enough. It's it's the revelation that we lack that our system lacks the immune system to that. Yeah, I'm and it's mixing re- some it's metaphors here. But- the the Republican Party is is not an ideological party anymore. I mean, for for a generation, the the view of American politics was that the Dem- the Liberal Party, the Democratic Party, was actually just a coalition of interests. Uh, my buddy Jay Cost wrote wrote a whole book about this, um, how it was really just serving a bunch of interests. And the Republican Party was the party of ideas, and Republicans and conservatives took a great deal of pride in that and thought that this was quite a good thing. This is actually how ideas were advanced in the world. You tried them out, laboratories of democracy, you had different conservative think tanks fighting over, you know, policy view A versus policy view B. And now it turns out that all of that is false. Uh, if maybe it was never true to begin with, for all I know. Uh, but it turns out that the Republican Party, the conservative party, is also just a coalition of interests. And that, I, sit, I, I think, means that you wind up getting really sclerotic government going forward when you have both of the major parties uh, having no interest in ideas at all, but simply serving client classes. Uh, this is, again, not not a recipe for a substantial and thriving republic. Well, you, yesterday morning, you sent me that uh, the quote, uh, the, the Steve Bannon quote, I think that underlines all of this, uh, uh, the, you know, who's Trump's chief ideologist, right? I mean, even though he's he's in exile. And, and he, he's basically talking about incorporating, you know, a socialist into his his new vision. And, and, and the quote was, Europe is about a, head, a, a year ahead of the United States. You see populist nationalist movements with reform here. You could begin to see the elements of Bernie Sanders coupled with the Trump movement that really becomes a dominant political force in American politics. So this, this crossover between Trumpism and Bernieism is exactly what you're talking about here is that, you know, a, a, a conservative movement that that actually had any sort of a coherent uh, idea w- would would it would have an immune system to the the, the notion that well, let's that, let's incorporate um, actual socialism into our political agenda. Yeah, no, there's there goes sloppy Steve again. And but he's right. But here's 
So I would say from the Nationals' perspective, it's actually not that far a jump. And uh, I think Bannon, again, on his own terms, is probably correct here, that this is the natural progression for Trumpism is to something like Bernie Sandersism. What is amazing is that the same people who said they were conservatives and concerned with fiscal responsibility and the size of government and conservative principles and blah, 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 first accommodated themselves to Trump and then, I promise you, will accommodate themselves to whatever Trump morphs into from here. And so if Trump in year three or year five or year seven decides that uh, he is going to take this leap into sort of, you know, socialism and socialism light or Sanders light, uh, all the people who back in 2011 were telling you how desperately important it was that Mitt Romney be elected president will be going right along with Donald Trump. It is a cult of personality, the likes of which the Republican Party has not seen, uh, at least in my lifetime. Uh, Not in in my lifetime. Not in my lifetime either. So where where does this actually end? I'm almost getting the sense now that between Giuliani and Trump uh, that that they're saying, okay, screw it. Uh, Yes, we obstructed justice um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, And, you know, next week it's going to be, yes, screw it. We we, we actually did work with the Russians and there's nothing wrong with that. The laws don't apply to us. Uh, I'm firing everybody. I'm pardoning everybody. I'm shutting it down. The tweet this morning about Jeff Sessions, when when did a president of the United States ever attack and humiliate his own attorney general like this? So where do you see this going? I mean, I, there's got to be some endpoint. There, there's a lot of reports indicating, obviously, that Mueller is is moving ahead aggressively. They're going to try to throw Paul Manafort in jail for being stupid enough to tamper with witnesses. I mean, think about that. How dumb you have to be when you're basically got a bracelet on you to be Two tampering with. Yeah. Two of them. He's got double anklets. <laughs> I'm not Good. kidding. He's, he's double lowjacked, and he's still trying to tamper with witnesses. So, so with with Sean with Sean Hannity's um, whispering in his ear, is it, does does Donald Trump just continue to you know, fight this out, or does he shut it down? I just he, I, I I really have no idea at this point. It beats. I I have no idea either. I yeah, my my assumption has always been that at some point he probably shuts the investigation down and fires Mueller. Uh, but on the other hand, as you see with Sessions. He really doesn't like firing people. I mean, he, he if somebody says you can't you got to make me go, Trump is kind of a wuss about this. Uh, and I don't know exactly why that is. I don't I, I like to, to ask myself when I'm trying to, like, keep myself amused. Who, who's going to last longer? Bolton, who there are reports this morning out is actually being cut out of North Korean stuff by Mike Pompeo oh. uh, or, or Sessions or Mueller. And it's who can say. And the truth is that none of us know. And the president probably doesn't know either. He does seem to wing most things. And well, uh, I'll make one prediction. Yeah. Relatively confidently. That whatever happens, we will learn about it um, through a tweet. Yeah, I think that's I mean, that, that, that that's that's how the American Republic dies. You know, yeah, tweet <laughs> with, time. with a tweet. Yeah, it's like it, boy, that's almost too good, isn't it? I mean, it's like not you know, with a bang, not, but with, with, a, with a but not with a bang, but with a tweet. Exactly. Let's. Let's end on that note. I think we I think we need to drop the mic on that one. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining me. And uh, thanks for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back again tomorrow. We'll do this all over again.